Hi everyone, we're Brianna and Suzanne, two teacher moms who are passionate about helping you create a home environment where your family truly thrives. We're here to help you with anything from setting up your family goals and the perfect physical space in your home, to managing school expectations and parent-teacher conferences and everything in between. Whatever the unique needs of your family, we're here to help you get set up for success. Thank you for joining us today as we explore another topic to help you thrive in your hive. Before we get started today, did you know that both of us are trained and experienced coaches ready to work alongside you as you unlock your full potential? At Thrive in the Hive, our focus is on empowering moms and dads just like you. By exploring the core drivers in your everyday decisions, we'll work together to raise your awareness and harness your power to consciously choose how you show up for your parenthood. Imagine yourself with complete confidence and clarity in who you are. Imagine yourself equipped to seize life by the horns, creating limitless opportunities and recognizing limitless potential for you and your family. Message us to set up a free discovery call. Happy thriving! Hey everybody, welcome back. We're into part two of our episodes about prepping for summer. Today we are going to delve into the academic side of things most of you may know that Suzanne and I are both educators, so of course we've got to talk about the academics. We want to just make sure that while your kids are having so much fun over the summer, they're also doing some things to exercise their brains and keep um, up to the pace so that they enter the next school year ready to go and confident and on track for a great school year. So you've probably heard about the summer slide, and this can happen to everybody. And let's say you end the school year, your child ends third grade, and they've taken a standardized tests, and they're ending the year where they should as a third grader approaching fourth grade. If they don't do anything all summer long, because face it, we're all exhausted. I feel like by the time the school year would end, I was completely wiped out. And the thought sometimes of having to do anything academic with my own children after having just taught an entire school year was sometimes overwhelming and I didn't really want to always do that. But you can find that balance of having all the fun and having the relaxation and just the slower pace of the summer, but incorporating some of the academics in. Because if you don't, what happens with the summer slide is they regress and then you lose ground. And then when they go back to school, if they were to be given another standardized test, then instead of being as a fourth grader approaching fourth grade level, they might be like a third grader that's only halfway through the school year. And they've lost all of this work that they, they've done. <clears throat> Still having the pollen problem. Excuse me. Um, they might have lost so much ground because they didn't do anything to mentally stimulate their brain all summer. So it's really, really important. We have a quote here that says, if you don't exercise, you lose muscle. And if you don't read, you will lose literacy skills. And this is from a University of Tennessee Knoxville research study showing that children who don't read over the summer lose at least two months of reading development. And especially with COVID, we just absolutely cannot afford that. Like our kids in our country and in our world really cannot afford that, especially this year. And I think the summer slide is something that can happen anytime, but now we're going into the summer with a summer slide on top of a COVID slide. So we are not by any way trying to say you should have school all day long, all summer long, 
but we think that it's very important that you do some sort of academic mental stimulation on a regular basis with your children. But you can do it and make it lots of fun. So we don't want you, their kids to feel like they're in school all day long because that's just going to kill any love of learning that they might have. So we're going to give you some tips on how to make this fun. You don't even have to use the word academic. It can just be like, oh, we're going to do some... I mean, honestly, just fun activities mm -hmm. or, oh, did you do your reading today? If it becomes the norm, it's not something that they have to like trudge through. If it's just the expectation and the norm, then they're just going to do it every day because you've set them up to do it every day. Going back to that study, depending on the study you look at, it's anywhere from two to three months of loss when that student doesn't read all summer long and then they go back into, let's say, fourth grade and they seem to have lost ground over the summer. It's because they really did. And I think looking at it from that quote that Suzanne read about when you have muscle and you don't use your muscle, what happens to it? It gets soft and might start to atrophy. Same thing with your brain. They've got to keep going. They've got to keep reading. If they don't read a word all summer, it's like not starting over, but it's definitely going backwards when they start back to school. And we don't want that to happen. We want them to not skip a beat. If they can even improve over the summer, then that's awesome. So read, read, read. Do things to get them reading. Have books available in your house. Have magazines available in your house. Let them see you reading. I think this is a great idea. Have, I don't know if you've heard of Dear Time, Drop Everything and Read Time. That's a huge acronym in the education world. Have family Dear Time, where everyone in your family drops everything and reads. Everyone in your family sits down in the living room or in a cozy corner of your bedroom or whatever. And there's no technology unless you're reading on a tablet. I do that. I have to say I read on the app on my phone. But letting them see that you're reading and that this is time that we're not just playing on our phones or playing on our tablets. We are actually reading because we enjoy reading as a family. I think that's really important. And it speaks a lot to your children when they see you reading for pleasure. Being a reading teacher for so long, I'm super passionate about this. And I've had many conversations with students over the years. And one of the things, this is not a formal study, this is just anecdotal evidence that I have. But what I've noticed is when my students come into my classroom and I'll do a survey with them about, I always do like a reading interest survey in the beginning of the year so I can get to know them. And one of the questions is, do you like to read? It's just a simple question. And it's so sad, but by middle school, more than half the kids don't like to read. It's just been, I don't know, the fun has been sucked out of it. And I also think there's so many other things that compete with reading. There's so much technology they can, there's just so many things kids can do nowadays that reading is being pushed down on the list. So I'll ask a question like, who are the readers in your family? And a lot of the kids who don't like to read say, well, my parents don't like to read either. I've never seen my parents read anything. So I'll go back to say as, as parents, we are the models for our kids. We are their first teachers. Try to find a way to read for pleasure, whether it's a magazine, it can be anything. I am not picky with my students about what they read. The key is that they read something. So if they want to read Calvin and Hobbes comic book, fantastic, read it. If they want to read um, a, a magazine on something they're interested in, that's great. It really does not matter what they're reading as long as they're reading. And as parents, we can model that. And the dear time is a great time. I think that even if you don't like to read, but if you just start to try it and you say, okay, we're going to all sit down and read for 20 minutes. Even if you are not a lover of reading, if you pick something that you enjoy reading about, 
you're going to model that and you're going to probably look forward to tomorrow's dear time too because you're going to want to pick up on that article where you left off or on the next chapter of the book that you're reading. It's so important to model that. The other studies that I remember from college is that the dad is the most influential person in the family on reading habits for their kids. Kids who see their dad reading are much more likely to read. And so dads have to get in on on the action as well. So that's why if you have dear time for 20 minutes and get mom and dad involved in it, it's great. I think the other thing is your kids are never too old to read to them. So pick a family novel. Pick something that everybody would enjoy. And maybe it's every day. Maybe it's two or three times a day a week. You read a chapter or two as a family. I love that. My family absolutely loves that. Even now, they'll say, well, let's, let's get a novel and let's read it. And I'm usually the one that reads aloud because I have lots of read aloud experience as an educator. They love it because I do all the voices and the accents and everything else. I have so many memories of this because we're in the room all together, snuggled up as a family. Maybe I only read for 10 minutes a night, but it's that time that we have together. And we love it. We've always done it. And it's always given them that excitement for reading and just help them be more passionate about it. That's awesome. And if you really want to expound that even further, there are all kinds of little units that you can do. I remember reading about this last summer. A mom had blogged about how her family had reading time together and she was reading them the Peter Pan novel and they actually did these little activities to go along with the novel. They actually did these activities together, like they created maps and they did all these fun, but had some type of learning piece to them activities to go along with the novel. So it not only gave her family this time of reading together, but they also had activities to do during the day, during the summer to keep them busy. So you can expand this out as much as you want or keep it just reading. But the point is that you're doing it, that you make it something that's regularly happening for your family. And that's something that you eventually everyone starts to look forward to it because our world can get really crazy. Our life can get really crazy with all the things going on, but we all need that quiet time. Mm -hmm. I think it's great. I love the idea of the activities and you can even make it um, simple. Let's say you're reading a story and something happens to the character. I always try to come back and make connections to those books. So let's say you go out and you have a similar experience as the character did. You can have a conversation with your kids or with your family and say, whoa, what just happened to us was just like what happened to the character in the novel. But we had a different outcome. Building those connections, you're teaching your kids how to read and how to analyze. As reading teachers, those are the kinds of things that we're trying to get them to do at school. And so you can do these fun activities, but you can also just go, wait, this reminds me of that book we read and just talk about it with your kids. And you're modeling for them exactly what they're going to have to do in middle school and high school when they're analyzing novels. My first grader comes in with a lot of this kind of stuff, analyzing text and what's the connection to me and how is this like Mm -hmm. this other character? So it's not only getting them ready for high school, they're using it from the very early stages. So if you're listening right now and not quite exactly sure what we're talking about, I challenge you over the next couple of weeks to really pay attention to some of the activities that come home from school. Maybe keep a little stash if you need that reminder so that you see what kind of questions the teachers are asking and you can make it covert, but ask them in a way that we don't realize that you're schooling them over the summer. 
but you're using some of that similar language and then all of the connections just start to happen. Mm -hmm. And so some of the three big ones, just basic here are text to self connections. So that's what I was talking about. You read something in the book and it reminds you of something that happened to you. So let's say you read and then you're having dinner. You could say, hey, didn't that part in the book remind you guys of whatever, like you did a trip or whatever. Then you have that conversation. They don't even realize it. Don't make it like it's school. Just have a conversation over dinner. There's um, text to text relationships. So teachers are always going to ask kids, what does this that we're reading right now remind you of something else you've read? So you could even say, hey, that part was just like that magazine article that we read or whatever it is. And then you have text to world connections. And that's taking whatever's happening in the book that you're reading and making a comparison and a connection to something else that's happening in the world. So maybe your kid in the story goes to the food bank to work at the food bank. Well, you can make that connection with your family. Oh, look, they were doing volunteer work in that. And we know that we have a lot of hungry people in our community. So you just talk about making that connection from the book to what's happening in your community or in your world. And you can just have those conversations. You have those conversations over dinner, in the car, just file it away. I wouldn't finish the chapter and go, okay, now we're going to talk about this. Try to make it more like a natural conversation. They won't even know. They'll just think you're having a conversation, but you are really getting that academic, higher level thinking going in their brain. So they're not going to lose any ground. And it doesn't need to be a long conversation. It could be a conversation that happens in, in like two minutes but you're keeping it going in their brain so they don't so they don't have that summer slide right and they'll start to even pick up these conversations themselves they'll start to be like oh this reminds me of whatever mm-hmm. and exactly. you know you're killing it when that happens that's awesome it's awesome it's so good yes. i think the library is the best resource we spent hours at the library i know in our last podcast we talked about planning your week out and I don't really know what's going on with the libraries right now, but I do think their they're ours, open. Their ours are yes. open. And they always, our local library always had a summer program for the kids. And it was different on the ages. If they were younger, it was number of books read. And if they were older, I think it was number of pages read, or maybe it was done by time. And I would always sign my kids up for that. And they got prizes along the way. So they had, I think, four different prizes. Like they got... I think they got a pencil for a certain number. It went up by categories. And then the biggest prize was when they reached the goal was a trophy. My kids have probably 10 trophies um, from the library for getting the reading done. But that's a fun way to motivate the kids. And my kids, every day they wanted to go to the library to get another book because they were motivated by those rewards. And it worked. And then it was fun because we would always try to time it when they had whatever the program was. So like they would read a book and have a craft or maybe there would be somebody like an author there visiting and there was an author talk or something. So we would try to go for those, get that calendar. I'm sure you can find that calendar online from your local library or just go by and pick it up and see what's happening during the week. But I feel like it was always every Tuesday and Thursday, there was some sort of program going on. And we would go with friends and then sometimes we'd go have lunch afterward. And it was just so much fun. Everybody would bring a bag and they'd fill their bag up with books. And I would have to get them to print me a list of, especially when we were in the picture book phase, 
because they would be all over the house and I would be like, we're missing one of the books. <laughs> We'd go back and turn them in and get new books, but it was just so much fun. And that really helped motivate my kids to read. So check out your local library because those librarians are even more passionate about reading than we are. They have all kinds of great, great, great ideas to motivate kids to read. Yes. And I mentioned this in the last podcast about prepping for summer, but book reports, maybe don't call them book reports because you might get some size, but you mm -hmm. could totally get your kid reading and then have them do a book report or, you know, some fun activity that they're actually creating some product for the book to show their understanding of what they've read and practice those skills because we all have to write book reports in school. I know when I was little, I used to have to do this. So like my mom would do assigned reading during the summer and she's not a teacher, but she just always did this. And then we had to write book reports. And yes, I complained about it when I was little, but now my kids have to do it because I feel like it's valuable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so think about these ideas, join the hive and look at our summer resources because it's all there for you, but just keep your options open. And don't think of reading over the summer as a suggestion. It's not just something to keep kids busy. It is critical and it really needs to be done. It keeps them on track for their entire educational career and beyond when they are reading during the summer. So it's a, a non-negotiable. And it's if non they understand that and everyone's doing it, it will um, really set you up for success in that department. The more your kids read, the better prepared for life they will be. Because by reading, they continually come into contact with all kinds of different people in different situations. And you can learn through what happens to those characters in the books so that when you are out in the real world, you can think, I don't know how to handle this, but I know what happened to the kid in the book. And maybe it worked out for them or maybe it didn't. So they can go, well, I'm going to try that because it worked for them. or I'm definitely not going to do that because that was a big mistake from the character in the book. It's just unbelievable how much better kids who read do not only in school but just in life because they've been exposed to all kinds of different situations so again I reiterate what you just said reading is non-negotiable it is a must it's a priority it needs to happen and if you have kids who are reluctant readers you may have to motivate them in some way to read and that's okay it could take a long time to get them to want to read. You may have to reward them. You may need to do sticker charts, whatever we've talked about, finding your kid's currency, whatever it takes to get them to want to read. But it is the single best thing that you could do for your kids is to turn them into people who love to read and lifelong readers who want to read for fun. And I think in the summertime, that's also the key is finding books that are fun. It doesn't always have to be hard. There's different reading levels. And in the summer, just have them read at a fun, reading level. You don't always have to push them into what would be called like their instructional reading level. If they want to read above their level, that's fine. You may have to support them more, but just let them read what they want because they are going to learn from that. And some schools require your kids to read books in the summer. And so when they get back, let's say they're coming into sixth grade, like I always had required summer reading for my incoming sixth graders. So they had a book that all of the sixth graders were supposed to read and then I had choices. So they had to read three books for me. So like one, everybody read and then they had a choice between two books and a choice between another two books. And I did different genres. So I usually had one book that was fiction that everybody read and then I would have two different 
autobiographies that they could choose from based on their interest level. Usually one was a girl, one was a boy. And then I had two different fantasy novels that they would read and they could choose which one they wanted to read. Or they could read all five if they wanted to. But then when they got back to school, I had activities for them to do. So we have resources on the Hive membership. If they have that required reading, these would be some resources that are a little bit more in-depth, like analyzing plot and looking at character and character development and things like that. So if your kids are kids that have required summer reading, you could pull some of those resources. And if they're filling those out, I bet they will be completely ready to go when school starts and their teacher starts asking them questions and having them do projects over those books. Perfect. We have talked a lot about reading, but there's obviously more pieces to the puzzle. Some other ideas for the summer, depending on your child's age, keep them up to date on their math facts. That will be really crucial. So maybe you turn snack time into math facts practice, or maybe you go outside and use sidewalk chalk to practice math facts, or just making it fun. They can play school and they can practice their math facts that way. I got this idea from a teacher I used to teach with. What did she call it? I can't remember what she called it, but she would put up math facts on flashcards randomly on a wall and the kids had a fly swatter and they would swat the right answer with their fly swatter. It It was so fun. fun. Yes. That's fun. I know it was fun. We enjoyed it. I saw her using it for math, but we've used it for learning sight words. We've used it for learning all kinds of things because like it gets their bodies moving and Mm -hmm. they think it's so fun because normally I don't really let them use the fly swatter, but like they had their own little fly swatters from the dollar store. So they were clean. They use that to, to practice that skill. So think outside the box and use these activities to just secure some of those skills that you know that your kids are working on in school. I think that's a brilliant idea. I love that because movement, you'd be surprised. It what your kid when they're sitting there at school under pressure trying to do like the mad minute page, they will probably literally remember holding the fly swatter and whacking the answer. That's what they're going to remember. It's that movement that makes them learn the fact. So what a great idea. Yeah, that especially helps because there's all that research about cross body movement. Mm-hmm. So when you move your right arm over to the left side of your body and vice versa, or across a leg over to the other mm-hmm. side, it helps secure concepts. I've read articles about that before, and this particular activity with the fly swatter, it often gets that happening, like mm-hmm. naturally, because they're reaching over to swat the number yeah. five or whatever. I highly recommend that activity. But just different ideas to just make it fun, make them practice. There are on teacherspayteachers.com, That website is not just for teachers. I, as a parent, have bought many resources on that website. In fact, it wasn't last summer, it was the summer before. Right after Amelia was born, like she was a newborn, I knew that we weren't going to be able to be out and about as much. And so I took the time when I was still on maternity leave and the boys were still at school, I bought this amazing resource on Teachers Pay Teachers and had printed it out and got everything cut out and ready to go. And I had a binder for each of my boys because there was one that was Eli's level and one that was Wyatt's level. And it had all these little activities. So I had those clear sheet protectors and each activity had its own sheet protector. So like it might have been like a little stack in the sheet protector. And they, we would just pull the activity out of the sheet protector and they would do those activities. And they were really fun, but they were also building skills. So for example, one of my favorites, and actually it was one of their favorites too, and I think it came in Eli's pack, but Wyatt ended up doing it too, was building ice cream cones. So mm. it was like paper. I have a picture of it somewhere. There was the cone that had a number on it. 
And then there were all these different scoops of ice cream that had the number represented in different ways. So like one mm -hmm. scoop, if the number on the cone was five, one scoop might have had five dots on it. And mm -hmm. one scoop might have had five tally marks on it. And one scoop might have had five, I don't know, seashells on it, whatever. I'm making this up, but you get, the, you get what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. So they would basically lay out all the ice cream cones, one through 10. So that was, they were having an order. I would always mix them up. They would have to put them in order from one through 10. And then they had literally this container of ice cream scoops or scoops of ice cream that were paper. And they had to put, okay, like this ice cream scoop has five dots on it. I'm going to put this scoop of ice cream on the cone that says number five. And they had to match it in that way. And it was so fun. I loved it when they did it. I love to do it with them. But they were building that skill and then they can automatically recognize, okay, five dots is number five because it's in a certain pattern, certain sequence. Yeah. Activities like that, they're out there already. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think I bought it for less than $10 on Teachers Pay Teachers. And, and that activity, I still have the binders. I could pull them out now. Like I'm keeping all this stuff because I know Amelia is going to need them in a couple of years. But just think outside the box about ways to make learning fun, help them keep up with that stuff that their teachers have been working on. Like I said, really pay attention to what's coming home in the next couple of weeks to see where your child should be so that you can be working on those skills. They also have summer workbooks that you can buy that will work on like, you might buy like the second grade workbook because your child's going into second grade and they're specifically tailored for summer. So if, if it's not your cup of tea to go and print a resource out off of Teachers Pay Teachers and cut it out, because there is work involved in that, I'm not gonna lie, it's time consuming. But if that's not your thing, then buy a workbook and just be like, okay, there are 45 pages to this workbook. There are eight weeks of the summer. We need to do X number of pages a week to get through the workbook by the end of the summer. And just make it something that A is non-negotiable would be like, it can be fun or they can have some kind of reward. Though once you do your pages, we're gonna have an ice cream treat or we're gonna mm -hmm. have, obviously my brain is on ice cream right now. Whatever, we're gonna go to the pool. Just get your work done real quick and then we'll go do that. So just make it fun, make it work for your family. But the bottom line is just that they're practicing those skills. They're not walking into the school year in August having lost some confidence that they might have had in May because they're like, I've got this. I've been kind of doing this all summer, like in a fun way. Again, please, please, because I've seen this happen and it kind of breaks my heart. Please don't make your child sit there for hours every day during the summer. That is going to rob them of their joy. But just build in these fun little activities. Start in June, right when school ends, so that you're not having a cram at the beginning of August before school starts. And just let them do a little bit every day or not even every day. When you're on vacation, Give them a break or turn it into some other way. Okay, let's count the number of stop signs we pass as we're driving to the zoo today or whatever it is. But just be more aware of that. Have that language ready to go and you're going to see results and see this transformation in your child as they feel confident and ready for the school year that they're entering into. Yeah. And don't forget about science. I think science was the most fun. I loved doing science with my kids forever. Science is everywhere. It's all around us. So it's cooking, it's nature, it's everywhere. I bought a bunch of books, like how to do science experiments at home and things like that. And I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers too. Mm -hmm. But just simple, fun science experiments. My son was really into the Mentos in the soda bottle one. Like we did that one a lot. And eventually I think he turned that into a science fair project. We loved that. But we would do science every week and they would just ask, well, can we do another science experiment? They really were into it because it was fun. And we just did it for fun. Like I didn't have them fill out a lab report or anything. We just talked about it. What did we learn? 
Did it work? Sometimes it doesn't work. And that's a good lesson as well, too. Oh, that was a major fail. And we would talk about why and laugh about it. And sometimes we would try it again. But just try to do some science with them because it's so fun. And also, all of the fun things that you do are learning experiences. When you go to the zoo and you talk about the animals, you're teaching your kids and it's just fun and they don't realize it. Go to the museum and look at the dinosaurs or look at whatever's in whatever section you want to look at and they're learning and they're having fun. Check out all of those resources because I know you have to pay to get into a lot of those places, but sometimes there are free parts. Check out your museums in your city because sometimes you can get in for free or the general admission is really inexpensive, but they also run free activities where maybe there's a talk and then they can do some kind of craft. So check out all of those resources as well. We did a lot of stuff at our natural science museum when my kids were little. It got us out of the house. We got to go learn something and do a crafty project and it was a lot of fun and they learned but didn't realize they were learning really. If you'd like this to be a little bit more straightforward for you, maybe you don't have the time to gather all of these materials or buy the books for the science experiments. There are also kits available nowadays. I've looked into that recently. You can subscribe to kits or you can just order them one time where it's like a science experiment in a box and they send it to your house. So that's That's another option too. Yeah, there's all kinds of options out there for that. So if this idea of prepping for the experiment or getting things gathered is overwhelming to you, look at those options because literally it's a box that they ship to your house and you open the box and you do the experiment and you don't have to do any prep time. Like that's it. So think about those options too. And also check out the books for simple science things because sometimes you just need to mix like some baking soda and vinegar together and you have those things on hand. You can Google all that, find just simple things that you can do with things that are just there in your house as well. It doesn't have to be a big, huge science lab experiment if you don't want to. There's so many fun things you can do. It can be as simple as let's walk around the block and see how many different kinds of tree leaves we can collect. It can be anything like that. I think the key thing though is like what we talked about in the first Planning for Summer podcast is that you do have to have a plan and create some sort of structure. So I know we always would wake up in the morning, have our breakfast, and we would get the things that we had to do finished before we got out. And my kids would be waking up with the sun, even though I always wanted to sleep late in the summer. It was the only time we could sleep late. They really were never late sleepers. So We had many hours to do things before we could really go out and see people. And so we would just get the summer workbook done, the kinds of things that maybe they didn't really want to do, because I always made them do the summer workbook. And I'd say that's the one thing that they would go, oh, I don't want to do that. But that was our time to get it finished so that the rest of the day is just going to be all the fun stuff that we're going to do. But you got to schedule it in because there's only so many hours in the day. So you do have to say like, they're pestering me to do the science project, but it's going to take a while to do it. So you got to sit down with the kids and go, okay, well, what day are we going to do that? Because it's going to take we have to observe it for three hours or something. We have to schedule it in as we can't go to the pool if we got to be watching what's happening with our science experiment. So just get a little schedule. But like we said in the last one, make sure you're flexible with your schedule as well. But we always tried to get the things that weren't quite as fun out of the way in the morning and then move on to the more fun things later on for the rest of the day. Yes. I know a lot of people, especially last summer with COVID, hire a babysitter or a nanny over the summer. So I know a lot of our ideas are because Suzanne and I are both home during the summer since we're teachers. 
But if you have someone coming into your home to watch your kiddos, you can set this up for them, these kinds of things, and tell them these are some of the things I would like done over the course of a week, or this is my general idea of what, what I want them to be working on. And so it doesn't just have to be you implementing these things, is my point. You can set these things up so that whoever is watching your kids, if it's in your home or whatever, they can work on through these activities. So keep that in mind as well. Even if they're at camp all day, these kind of academic things are so important that they need to be the priority no matter what the situation is. So find a way to just make it happen. If it's when they get home from camp in the afternoons, if it's the hour before bedtime, just think about now how you can schedule it in. And I think that's a great idea. Having been a babysitter when I was younger, I really appreciated the parents who left me with those kinds of activities to do. Because when you're thinking of, I need to babysit this kid for 10 hours during the day, how am I going to keep them busy for that long? It's overwhelming when you're just a teenager mm -hmm. and you don't really know as a 16, 17 year old what to do to entertain little kids all day long. So I loved it when the parents would say, okay, these are the five things that I really need them to get finished today. It gave me direction as a babysitter. So I think that's a really good idea if you can do that for those people that are coming in to take care of your kids. So our takeaway is just the importance of especially reading during the summer, but also working on all of these other activities to just help your child stretch their brain over the summer and continue to grow, continue to be confident, learning, making those connections. Read, read, read. And the action item is to brainstorm with your family some of the academic activities that you're going to do for fun with them and get them scheduled on your calendar and make sure you have a daily schedule so that these important things get done. And also, don't forget to become a member of The Hive where we have so many resources in that membership section to help you with book reports, with study skills, with any of the things that we've talked about, planning, prioritizing, all of that's in that membership section. So it's all there at your fingertips to help you. All right, guys, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being a part of our show today. If you enjoyed what you heard and would like to learn more about setting yourself up to thrive in your hive, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Also, check out our website at thriveinthehive.life. We can also be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We can't wait to talk with you again soon. Hi, listeners. Just a quick note that the views expressed in this podcast are solely the personal views of Brianna and Suzanne. They are not the viewpoints of any of the institutions that we may be affiliated with.